As Latter-day Saint leaders, we face very difficult conversations that put us at risk of saying the wrong thing that can do more harm than good. Many of these conversations relate to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Have you had a fellow ward member come out to you about their LGBT identity? Have you had LGBT neighbors in your ward and you just don't know what to say to them, so you just ignore them? Have you wrestled with balancing love for your fellow man while still respecting the doctrines of the restored gospel? Personally, I've struggled with all those experiences. This is why Leading Saints is putting together the LGBT Saints Virtual Summit, where we will learn from 20 plus individuals who all have a unique perspective or an expertise in the LGBT Latter-day Saint experience. It's free to attend, so don't miss it. To learn all about the details, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org LGBT. Again, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org LGBT. We hope you will join us so that we can all learn together. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Leading Saints podcast. My name is Kurt Frankham, your host, and you're going to learn a lot more about me this episode. Uh, you'll find out why soon. Now, if you're new to Leading Saints, I always have to start off the episode and never forget about the newbies in the room, that those that maybe just got sent this link and uh, encouraged to listen to it, and we welcome you. To Leading Saints, we are a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through many methods, one of those being this podcast where we have 400 plus episodes ranging uh, from topics about uh, motivation to running meetings to uh, influencing individuals to connecting with people, all sorts of principles related to leadership. And we hope that you dive into those, use the search function to find our podcasts that relate to maybe leadership issues or questions that you're facing in your personal life. We also have a website called leadingsaints.org where you'll find thousands of articles written around concepts of church leadership that many have found quite helpful. We have a newsletter, which you should all be subscribed to, that you can subscribe to at leadingsaints.org slash subscribe. And that newsletter goes out every week and it has very unique content in it that is shared nowhere else but through the newsletter. So if you like the Leading Saints content and you're not getting the newsletter, you're missing out for sure. And we do a variety of other things that uh, we'll mention from time to time, like virtual summits, which we have one coming up in September. I'm aiming for September 8th. I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but it is LGBT Saints Virtual Summit. We're going to do a deep dive into uh, how to minister to LGBT saints in the church. It's going to be phenomenal. I'm in the process of recording those right now, and uh, I think you will be pleased by the content. Now, this episode is just me, folks. It is a monologue episode, and I hope uh, you're okay with that. It seems in the past, whenever I've done these monologue episodes— uh, they've uh, done pretty well as far as, you know, when I measure uh, downloads and um, shares and those types of things. And so uh, maybe there's more that you want to hear from me. If not, that's all right. There's, like I said, 400 other episodes where you can listen to other people talk about leadership. But the reason I wanted to do a, a monologue episode is I've been meaning to do this for a while because back in May 21st, 2020, Leading Saints turned 10 years old. Now I know many of you are thinking, what? 10 years? This has been around for 10 years? I just found this three months ago. Yeah, we've been uh, a thing for 10 years. And let me tell you the story about how that came to be and where we've come and where we're going. I've uh, requested some frequently asked questions from some audience members, which I'll be answering as well. And then to make sure that you don't just get a boring life history of mine or we want to bring leadership principles to this episode. So at the end of this episode, I will share with you seven misconceptions members have about church leadership. And it might be similar to the episode I did a few months ago. I think it was more like a year or so ago. It was February 17th, 2019. So if you want to find this, so you can scroll back through your podcast feed to February of 2019. I did an episode called Seven Self-Sabotaging Habits of a Latter-day Saint Leader and What to Do About Them. And so this one is going to be focused on seven misconceptions members have about church leadership. So those of you that don't believe me that we've actually been around for 10 years, it's true. Back on May 21st of 2010, I was 27, about to turn 28, I had an idea. 
And that idea came from, uh, well, so on that day, May 21st, I bought the domain name leadingLDS.com. And I'll get into why we changed that name or morphed that uh, branding. But basically what happened is I got off my mission in 2003. I served in Sacramento, California, and I attended, as many of us do, a student ward, a singles ward that met at the Salt Lake Community College Institute building. And I attended there, excited to jump in, meet some meet some new friends, and most importantly, hopefully meet some girls, right? And that is actually where I did meet my wife, Alana, is in that ward. Uh, but attending that ward, I thought nothing of it, had a huge elders quorum. And before I knew it, I was called as the elders quorum president of that elders quorum. And this was my first ever leadership role, my first ever leadership opportunity. I had been a district leader on my mission, but I mean, that was like, two or three companionships that I was leading. It wasn't like this major administrative burden by any means. And so I jumped into leadership, just like many of us do, wanting to make a difference, wanting to do a good job, right? Wanting to leave my campground, then I found it, right? And so I jumped in and believe me, I made every last textbook mistake that uh, new leaders make. I had a guilt trip lesson related to home teaching, I uh, didn't know how to delegate, so I did everything on my own. It was just sort of a mess. Now, it felt didn't feel like a mess, but looking back, I was sort of a mess. Like I said, I met my wife, got married, and obviously uh, left that ward. And I left that calling feeling like, hmm, it was about a year that I served in that role. But I feel like, man, I didn't even move the dial, right? I didn't really make much of a difference. And it was frustrating to me, not because I knew I was a bad leader, but... <laughs> but because I really tried. I really tried, right? I read books, I tried different tactics, and nothing really made a difference, right? And I think this is a common experience that Latter-day Saints feel in their leadership roles is they they really try hard, but man, they don't really move the dial or they set goals and they don't really hit them, right? And so this sort of bothered me, but nonetheless, we moved. We moved into a, a shoebox for a year and then uh moved again into a condo. We bought a condo and moved into this ward. And I remember showing up in this ward. And the first thing I thought when I saw the bishop was, wow, he is really young. And got involved in this in this ward. It wasn't a, maybe a month or two later that I was called to be in the bishopric. And that was cool. I was 25 years old. Again, this is a new leadership experience for me. And served in that bishopric for about two years. And that bishop got released, and a new bishop got called, and that new bishop called me as the high priest group leader back in the day when that was a thing. And so here I was again, ready to serve, ready to lead. And I thought, ah, like I've tried this before. I tried really hard as an elders quorum president, but I didn't move the dial. Like I didn't really make a difference. I didn't influence. I didn't hit any goals, right? And I thought, you know, this is weird. This is crazy. Like, how come I can walk into a Barnes and Noble or any bookstore and there's bookshelves full of leadership books, but nobody, nobody really is talking about leadership in the context of church leadership. I mean, the real applicable things, right? Not just the the doctrinal or the principle, but the, the real applicable things, like how to run a meeting, how to motivate people, how to connect with people how to teach a lesson. Like those principles, I just was was desperate for where where to find those and, and where to learn as far as what the other guy's doing in his ward that's really working. And so I thought, well, obviously we live in an internet age. I'm sure somebody online is talking about how they're improving home teaching or how they're leading in effective ways. So I went online and I searched and I searched and I searched, nothing. I couldn't understand it, right? I thought, well, well, this is a need. I mean, I really need this as a leader. I'm not a leadership guru. I'm not a leadership expert. I, th I think I was uh, 26, 27 at this time. I enjoyed reading a good leadership book or an organizational behavior book, but I was no expert. But I thought, you know what? Maybe I could create a platform where I could at least get the conversation started, where I could at least bring an expert to the table and ask him some questions about some of these, uh, you know, principle-based leadership efforts that we could apply in the context of being a church leader, I could maybe create that. And so at that time, it was May 21st, 2010, I went to godaddy.com and I bought the domain name leadinglds.com. Now you may be wondering like where I, I thought about a variety of names and I wish I, maybe I do have them noted somewhere, but 
I thought of everything from like uh, whiteshirtandtie.com, um, thought about layleader.com, like had some really interesting, I thought I'd make it like cute and spunky, right? And, you know, whiteshirtandtie.com. And I'm like, well, that sort of leaves out the sisters in, in this. And obviously there's a lot of leadership that happens there. Anyway, so I believe what influenced me, I saw a success magazine and I think I saw another leadership magazine, but I thought, oh, you know what? That's what it is. We're leading, we're leading LDS. Like that's what we do, right? Uh, obviously that changed down the road when there's less of a emphasis on LDS. So we, this was just a couple of years ago, I think 2018, we changed to leadingsaints.org. Um, so in 2010, uh, that's where I started and it was just a blog. It was a uh, simple blog and I just started reading books like Stephen Covey, Daniel Pink, any book I could find that I really enjoyed that I thought was insightful for leadership. And I translated the the content to leading LDS, right? And started to write about it. And I pulled up here. <laughs> I still have these up there. You can still find articles that I wrote back in 2010 on leading saints. And I went back and some of these are, are really silly. So the first article I wrote was titled, Topic, how to lead the LDS. And here's what, it's literally three short paragraphs. Welcome to leading LDS. My purpose here are very simple. I want to create a forum where leaders in the church can learn how to be a strong leader in the LDS church, rather than just someone who filling a position. Many are called in the church to positions that they have never experienced or seen anyone else experience. They are then asked to change, manipulate, adjust, shift, transition, transform a group of people into fulfilling the mission of the church. This task has left many people sweating in stake president's offices when they hear, thanks for accepting the call. We will set you apart today after sacrament meeting. We then spend the next year making every mistake possible until we finally figure out maybe it wasn't the best idea to put the deacon in charge of family history. <laughs> Wasn't I so funny? To be honest, I'm not sure what this site will turn into, but it is going to be different. <laughs> it's so funny, just like, I feel like I'm in a time machine hearing me say this, like, oh, if you only knew what this turned into. I want it to be a place where new, old, young, inexperienced leaders, male and female, can come and find ideas that will help them accomplish the things that they've been asked to do. Stay tuned, dot, dot, dot. So that's, I literally wrote this May 22nd, 2010, the day after I bought this domain, and I just thought I'm jumping in, right? And then I follow up with articles uh, such as intrinsic home teaching. Uh, after that, being a leader, no matter the calling, how to save a meeting that has gone to false doctrine. That me, <laughs> this article, you should go read it. I can, I can't read it because every time I try and read it, I, it screams at me that I need to take it down. But I want to be true to the growing process this has been, and just leave my past articles up there. Interesting. And then there's this, somebody pointed me towards a conversation on leadership with Elder Bednar. And so I guess Elder Bednar and other general authorities, they will speak to managers who are employees of, of the church and they'll speak to them. Well, one of these interviews didn't get like behind their their firewall or, or whatever. And, and so it was out there for public consumption and it was so good that I blogged about it, right? And I even got this email, like it went crazy. Like people were sharing it, it was so insightful. I mean, it was incredible. And then somebody from the church emailed me and said, hey, that wasn't supposed to be let out. Would you mind just taking that down and not referencing it? <laughs> so I did, of course. Anyways, there's some fun articles. You can go back to uh, the very beginning, uh, back in 2010, the summer of 2010, I was writing all sorts of things. And from there, it just sort of, it sort of grew, right? It, 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 article after article. But there, there was times where during, I would be so overwhelmed. I mean, I was, I was called as bishop that following February. And so I would take time. Sometimes I would take three, four, five month breaks just because I was so busy. I couldn't write another article. But in my mind, I was, it was always interesting that in my mind, it just always felt like this was going to turn into something larger than it was. And that I know I didn't have time for that moment, but I would always come back from it. Like it, I'd had several other projects where you dismiss and forget about and uh, you don't come back to. But uh, this one felt like it would go go for a while. So, and, and then I was, you know, I was called as a bishop and then served that in there for five years and then in the stake presidency. And all those years, it became sort of my laboratory of discovering unique leadership issues, problems, perspectives that are difficult to deal with. And it sort of fed what I, uh, what I would produce content around. And 
in 2014 is when uh I mentioned someone mentioned the idea of doing a podcast. I thought, yeah, I could probably do that. You know, I had a lot of experience in my day job and with public speaking and presenting. So I thought, you know, I'm pretty comfortable in front of a mic. I could probably do that. And so I started. And some of those early episodes are just as funny as some of the early articles. I mean, I again, I can't listen to them because they're so bad, in my opinion. Just obviously, I've uh, progressed as a as a podcaster, as a host, and uh, but nonetheless, we jumped in and got to interview some interesting people. Uh, so that and that started in 2014, 2016. We became a. I filed all the paperwork with attorney friends and um, people who volunteered their time, and we became an official 501c3 nonprofit. And then we we're off to the races, right? And since then, we're now uh, about to pass the three and a half million downloads mark, and it just keeps going. I mean, every month. Last month, we had 220,000. Uh, downloads and it just blows my mind that people would that people are actually listening and every month it gets bigger and people are sharing and they're appreciating these topics and it's uh, so rewarding that way um and so that was that's sort of how leading saints started and now it's been 10 years and and i never would imagine we would be where we're at um and i'm looking forward to the next 10 years which i'll talk about some people ask me uh, you know what how many downloads has the first episode ever received and i went back and looked and it's just it's like 150 downloads, which now uh, typical, like our most listened to episode is, has received 40,000 downloads, right? So it's quite dramatically different. Obviously, those earlier episodes weren't as evergreen and and they weren't as well done. So I'm hoping the content that we produce now is uh, more evergreen, that people will share it and listen to it for years to come. And uh, that that would be awesome. So let's jump into some frequently asked questions so that we can get to the the meat of the the leadership principles uh, after these frequently asked questions. I had one individual ask me about memorable moments or bloopers, and this caused me to pause a little bit. Nothing necessarily came to mind. Uh, it would be interesting for you to know there are some I've recorded a few episodes that never make it to the podcast feed. One of those being I interviewed Mac Wilberg, the director of the the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square, and Ryan Murphy. Uh, I interviewed them both about uh, their, they had an album coming out, you know, the, the Tabernacle Choir had an album coming out. And so Desert Book was kind enough to uh, connect us and did this interview. And it was a phenomenal interview and it recorded. It's fine. I still have it loaded on, on this computer. And we talk about, I ask him questions about ward choir, how to like lead an effective ward choir, organize a ward choir, their favorite callings, um, all this stuff. It was really insightful. You would love it. <laughs> but there was one individual at the who works in that department at the church who just didn't like the episode and asked me not to publish it. So of course I want to respect that, and I haven't published it. So I'm hoping maybe I let enough time go by, I'll let it slip out and uh, ask for forgiveness later. <laughs> but anyways, it was a phenomenal episode. Um, I mean that some memorable things. I just get to meet remarkable people and, and ask them questions, right, and pick their brain for an hour, and then share that with you. It is awesome to, to sit down with BYU professors, with past leaders and uh, international Latter-day Saints, and just ask them how they lead, ask them about doctrinal uh, stuff and questions and, you know, the doctrinal stuff that really is applicable to a leader and how, how they lead, right? And it's just been phenomenal to, to meet those people and, and talk with them. The most memorable thing and the thing I really probably appreciate the most is about once or twice a week, I'll get an email from just a random leader who's been listening and they will share experiences with me about the, the simplest thing that's really made a difference in their life, in their leadership. And just to hear like from stake presidents, I've heard from uh, mission presidents, uh, even mission presidents who view some of our virtual summits in their in their zone conferences and reference them, uh, Leaf Society presidents that bring up certain clips in Ward Council, right? And just these simple messages of saying, thank you. You know, like I, we tried implementing this idea or this concept that you interviewed someone about and we learned so much and, and it's making a difference. Like we've seen an increase in our effectiveness of our meetings or our youth enjoy our activities more or just those little things. Like by far, if there's one thing it's so memorable. It's those emails. So if you ever have one of those moments where you're like, wow, that was so helpful, or we love getting those emails and I always save them and make sure I share them with others that, uh, you know, our board and, and others that help with our mission. And it is so fulfilling. I mean, those are the true paydays that uh, help us help us continue on our, our mission. 
Um, next question. What is your favorite episode? I get this question a lot and I, I have a lot of, a lot of favorite episodes and on my list of things that'll probably never get done. I would love to put a post together as far as like the host's favorite episodes or even a separate podcast feed where you can subscribe to and just listen to my favorite episodes because as people find leading saints, I bet it is overwhelming when you're thinking, whoa, 400 episodes, like where do I begin? But I can easily give you the top 10. Um, I won't today because I don't have that thought through or prepared. But I always say, you know, probably my favorite episode is the one I did quite a few years ago with my friend Heath, who was a counselor, one of my counselors in the bishopric. And near the end of our time serving together, he actually left the church. And we just had this real friend to friend conversation about that and what it was like. And I, and I hope it serves as a model of how to effectively talk with those who maybe have separated themselves from the church because it was, it was really healing for me. And it was more of a conversation about me as the leader than him as the person who left the church. And so definitely check that out. Uh, we'll link to that in the show notes uh, and we're linking to all these things uh, in the show notes, which uh, this would be a good time to give a shout out to Lillian who actually listens to these episodes and puts the show notes together, finds people to do summaries. I mean, we have volunteer work happening behind the scenes that uh, make this work. If I had to do it, um, I would have quit a long time ago because <laughs> it is so much work to put episodes together week after week after week. And anybody who's ever start, tried to start a podcast can testify to that for sure. Um, this is a question I get a lot. And as I put this quest out for frequently or for questions I could answer on this episode, uh, this came up a few times all around as far as like leadership training and has the church ever approached me about doing leadership training for the church. And this is interesting. And, and I'll say I have had private meetings with departments and individuals from the church. They've always asked me maybe not to talk about those, uh, which I'll respect here. I'll say is that they have happened. And, and I don't mean to be vague or, or subtle about that. I just am trying to respect their request of not talking about it. But just so there's no speculation, if I told you the names of the people I've met with with the church, you would not recognize their name, right? I've never met an apostle or even a 70, uh, General Authority 70 outside of, in the context of leading saints. I've met a few, you know, in my uh, personal church leadership, but nothing in the in the context of, of leading saints. And so I get this question a lot as if the church is coming to me, um, has, has ever approached me about organizing or helping the church with leadership training. First of all, I'll say to that is leading saints never was meant to be, nor I don't do I see today as a leader leadership training organization. We simply are a podcast or a platform that focus that, that talks about leadership principles, right? But we don't do it with the intent of training leaders. Now, there may be leaders who feel better trained by listening to it, by being aware of these principles, but that's not our main focus of training you, right? It's not our job to determine what a good leader is and that how a good leader should act, it, like if there's a right and a wrong way, right? It's similar to like there's organizations like us, um, Fair Mormon, for example. They're an apologetic organization that focuses on creating content uh, with the help of scholarship when it comes to difficult church history and doctrinal things, right? I don't know if I really articulate that well, but that's their their mission, right? They, I don't think they see themselves as a training organization. They don't see that it's their job to train members of the church to know things about the history of the church or the translation of the Book of Mormon, these things, but they create content, which is insightful and helpful and encouraging faith promoting for those who are interested in it. Right. So has the church ever approached me? Yes, but not on, on that matter. And so, or a lot of people ask the question like, well, if this, if leading saints is really needed, why wouldn't the church just do it? Well, there is a list of all sorts of things that's needed that the church doesn't do, not because they don't think it's needed, but mainly because just like any organization, they have limitations, they have different focuses, right? And it's just not in the mission of the church to produce exceptional leaders, right? Now, I would probably argue maybe there is some room for that, or there maybe could be some more uh, more official training uh, from the church, but it's up to them to determine that prerogative, right? And nor is it in their purview or their, their mission to create more effective leaders. So for example, I actually have in a roundabout way, I've, I have a friend who owns a audiovisual company who gets hired 
to do the the missionary president, the the mission president leadership training every summer, you know, as new mission presidents are called. And I, I've had opportunity to attend three of those as part of the audiovisual staff. And I sit there and it's remarkable. The full quorum of the 12 is, is there at some point throughout the, the week and they give remarkable training, very applicable for mission presidents. And I, I admit there's been moments where I sat there and I thought, man, I wish that the church would do this for bishops, for elders quorum presidents, for leadership high presidents, for the local leaders. And it's easy to go negative and just saying, man, why don't they do that, right? Or I walk, if you've ever been to Roots Tech, right, which is put on by Family Search, which is owned by the church, like you walk around there and it is a phenomenal conference with so many resources, classes, things that would help family history coordinators in so many ways. And in one of those negative moments, I thought, man, the, the family history coordinators are more prepared and trained than the local bishops or Relief Society presidents. What's up with that, right? But again, it all goes back to that's just not the purview or the the purpose of the church. And it's not their job to create leaders, right? Now, again, some of you and maybe even myself at times would argue that, yeah, it is. Like they need to do that. But obviously the church is focused on the the fourfold of the the church, right? And they train mission presence because that's part of part of the redemption efforts and baptizing people in the church. They focus on family history because that's part of redeeming the dead, right? Like there is, there it is clearly within their their focus there. So should the church do something like leading saints? I don't know, maybe, but it's not up to me, right? And so, um, but there's so many third-party organizations that assist in uh, positive promotion of the church and their mission and building the kingdom of God, much like leading saints. So leading saints isn't an outlier of what we do. There's organizations like I mentioned, Fair Mormon, right? Which is a third product, a third-party nonprofit organization. There's Book of Mormon Central that uh, focuses on promoting uh, scholarship and and uh, research about the Book of Mormon, right? There's the More Good Foundation. Maybe you probably don't know about that organization. It is remarkable, and you would be shocked what they're doing behind the scenes that you probably uh, in, are involved with day-to-day through social media. They do things sim- like the Saints Unscripted YouTube channel, right? That is per- that is produced by the More Good Foundation. Uh, they do, and they do so much more behind the scenes when it comes to social media that really promotes the church in positive ways, right? So we are just one of many third-party organizations that are 501c3 nonprofit that are helping the church in their own their own way. And so Leading Saints is focused on the leadership realm, helping promote positive leadership as a Latter-day Saint. And if it helps you, great, right? And there's nothing wrong with ignoring Fair Mormon and what they're doing, and there'd be nothing wrong with ignoring Leading Saints and what we're doing. And so we're one of many players in this uh, third-party world that is trying to help the the church succeed in in various ways. One individual, and this I get from time to time, is asked, uh, where do I see Leading Saints in 10 years? Well, this is a really good question because... I sort of, when I started leading saints, I sort of saw where we're at right now as sort of the pinnacle, as sort of the the goal, that just to have a well-established organization that uh, was raising funds to promote content and do things that would influence more positive leadership for Latter-day Saints. And I kind of feel like we're doing it, right? But of course, we never want to be in a place where we feel like we've arrived. We're always setting a, a next goal. And in the future, I kind of see that uh, there is a that there is a conference that happens every year, uh, much like Fair Mormon puts on a conference, which Book Mormon Central is involved in. I mean, there's uh, you know Desert Book puts on conferences, and I would love to bring. I mean, because there's so many Latter Day Saint scholars in the world, Liz Wiseman's, Stephen M. R. Covey, uh, man, it goes on and on, right? Uh, Roger Dean Duncan is another one. Individuals who are writing books, who are consulting in so many ways, the people I get to talk to. I would love to just have a a time every year we bring him to a central location, let's say the Salt Palace, and we have a great conference where people and leaders can come or tune in from, from around the world and just learn about the most recent findings on leadership research and study and perspectives and and principles and have breakout sessions and, you know, main stage presentations and so many ways to do that where that can be facilitated further. So uh, mainly I I just want to keep having conversations about 
about effective leadership. And, you know, there are literally departments in, in universities around the world dedicated to leadership. They're studying, they're researching, they're finding new findings where we could learn from, right? And we could apply in our leadership experience. And so I just hope we keep doing that. What what that looks like in 10 years, you know, I think a big conference would be great. It'd be great to have some, <laughs> maybe an office space with some staff who can help uh, churn the wheel here because uh, it's a lot for me to do. And I don't want to diminish that the work that any of our volunteers do or even some of our part-time staff that uh, we pay to just move things along and they do great work. But it would be great to have more of funding and a more formal uh, fundraising department that's helping us raise funds and keep moving forward that way. And then the last question, which is a perfect segue into the next portion of this episode, this question is this, what have you learned about the church's approach to local leadership that you think most members don't understand? And it made me ponder for a minute. What an interesting question. And it led me to this title of seven misconceptions members have about church leadership. And these are all just my opinion, my perspective. And I hope that as you listen to this, like never on leading saints to ever try and clarify doctrine or determine what a good bishop looks like or a poor bishop looks like or a good relief society and so forth, right? We just like to have the conversation. And then my hope is that you listen to these, listen to these episodes and not that you are your uh, your mind has changed, but that maybe it gives you a fresh perspective on things and it gives you a question to wrestle with for a minute. And then you can take it to, to the Lord in prayer, ponder over it and come to your own conclusion as far as what a good leader looks like, and then apply that good leadership perspective in your own respective uh, ward or whatever it is, right? So here are the seven misconceptions members have about church leadership. Number one, or misconception one, Revelation comes through feelings. So this is an interesting concept that I see a lot in the church uh, that people wrestle with. And let me give you an example. Back when I first served in a, a bishopric, the stake president at the time was very um, encouraging uh, and, and asked us to, to pray about callings in the following way. He would say, you know, you talk about a calling and you'll maybe come to a name. And then at the end of your bishopric meeting, we'd all kneel down and we would have someone in the room would pray. And then they'd go through each name and they'd say, we have considered the name of Brother Jones as the Sunday school president. And we ask for thy confirmation at this time. And then we would pause for about three to five seconds. And then we go to the next name. We've decided on the name of Sister H Jimenez as the nursery leader. And we ask for thy confirmation at this time pause, right? And what I discovered over time that I just don't believe the revelation in general works like this. Now, I realize there are times when those feelings come and those promptings come for one reason or another, but we often see revelation as a one-way street. And one of the greatest principles that I have applied that I appreciate uh, when it comes to revelation as a leader comes from Anthony Sweat, the professor, the religion professor down at BYU. And uh, he shared this verse with me. It was so helpful in my time as a leader to understand the process of receiving revelation, especially as a leader. And it says this, uh, in, so the scripture is in Doctrine and Covenants, section 128, verse 9. It says, it may seem to some to be a very bold doctrine that we talk of. And I love the fact that the scripture talks starts with that. Like, this is a bold doctrine. What I'm about to say is very bold, so listen closely. A power which records or binds on earth and binds in heaven. Nevertheless, in all ages of the world, whenever the Lord has given a dispensation of the priesthood to any man by actual revelation or any set of men, this power has always been given. Hence, whatsoever those men did in authority, in the name of the Lord, and did it truly and faithfully and kept a proper and faithful record of the same it became a law on earth and in heaven and could not be annulled according to the degrees of the great Jehovah. So to me, anytime we make a decision, especially as a, as a presidency, as a bishopric, any decision we make in the context of, of having authority, which is obviously always there, in the name of the Lord, and we do it truly and faithfully, or in other words, I interpret that like with our best intention and with our our best goals and, and intentions in mind, right? 
We do those three things. Any decision we make, it will be stamped as revelation. And so revelation is actually a two-way street. It's not these feelings that come down and like lightly touch us on the head and and prompt us in in one way or another. Now I realize again that I realize that happens from time to time. But generally speaking, it's a it's a wrestle. It's a council, right? There's such a focus on councils in the church that we shouldn't expect to just kneel down and get a little tinkling in our stomach and know that we've made the right decision. The Lord has given us autonomy. He's given us a good brain. He's given us life experiences that influence all of our decisions. I have no doubt that I made decisions as a bishop that were influenced by experiences I had when I was a deacon. And the Lord knew that he was actually inspiring me as a bishop 20 years later by putting me through that experience as a deacon, right? So that when I was a bishop, my mindset was created and molded in such a way that I would make a decision in a certain way. Now, all those decisions I made, I wouldn't necessarily say God agreed with them fully 100%, or if he was in my shoes, he would do the same thing. But he knew that this leadership role was mine. He'd given me authority. He'd given me a good brain, these experiences, and expected me to make a decision. And all the times I made a decision. So by the time I became bishop, this was still going on. And about six months in, I said to my counselors, okay, listen, I don't think this is helpful. I don't think this is really doing what we think it is doing for us. What I would suggest we do is make a good decision. We start the meeting with prayer, hoping that the, the Spirit will help us with those, those tough decisions. We make a decision. We move forward with it. If we, it's a mistake, we'll learn from it, regroup, and try again, right? And so there's sort of this misconception that revelation comes through these feelings, and it's always and always only comes through those feelings. Now, again, I've had those experiences. I remember specifically— I was called to the stake presidency. We were looking for a new high councilman and I was driving down the street and a sister in my stake drove up next to me at a, at a intersection. I saw her. And in that moment, it came to me and said, her husband should be on the high council. And it was like the perfect fit. Like it all came together. Right. So I took that stake presidency meeting and we called that gentleman to the high council. Right. So it happens in those moments, but oftentimes it's just a, a wrestle. It's a push and pull exercise where we're trying new ideas, implementing things, and we shouldn't be waiting around, waiting for the heavens to open and revelation to come. Now, I realize that, again, these are maybe new ways to consider. It may be controversial, take it or leave it. But I just don't think it's helpful to always be beating ourselves up that we can't quite feel those those tinkling feelings to know what we should do as leaders. I don't think God is looking to direct us in all things, as the scriptures say. Uh, but he wants us to to be to make decisions and move forward. All right, misconception number two: scriptures and handbooks are all you need to lead. This may not surprise you. I completely disagree with, and I hear it from time to time. People hear leading saints. I mean, most people are very open to what we do at leading saints. But every once in a while, someone says, "I don't get it. Like, why?" do you need to talk about leadership or why do you need to interview people about leadership? Like all I need as a bishop, all I need as an elders corn president is the handbooks and the scriptures. There's nothing else I need, but I would just completely disagree with that. Completely disagree. Because can you imagine telling a, a missionary, all you need is the handbook and the scriptures. Now we sort of say these things with hyperbole, right? Like uh, I guess in theory, yes, all you need is the scriptures and a handbook. But there's so much more to life and, and so much more truth in, in revelation that's happening out of the context of the church, right? Uh, obviously, a missionary preparing for a mission, we hope that he would rely on the, his parental upbringing and what he's learned in his home uh, to be a better missionary. The, the manners that his mom told him, taught him at the kitchen table will obviously play a role in his success as a missionary, right? And how he does at dinner appointments, right? And I always go to the example of uh, Elder Bendar. I mean... I love Elder Bednar. He's like, he's my Elder Holland at conference. Like, I look forward to his conference talk the most. He has a PhD in organizational behavior from Purdue, Purdue University. I mean, he has a brilliant mind, and there's no doubt about that. Do you think he ever sets aside that PhD and those years of understanding and says, well, all I need is the scriptures and a handbook? No, of course not nor do we expect him to. We hope that he implements those things, right? I mean, during this time of uh, a pandemic, we have a prophet, seer and revelator, the head of this church, who's also a medical doctor, 
Do we expect him to set aside his, his medical education because all he needs is a his scripture and a handbook? No, of course not. We want him to bring his medical knowledge, and I'm sure he's done that many times along with Elder Renland uh, in those council meetings from his medical doctor perspective, right? So I really believe as leaders, we have a responsibility to not just stick with the handbook and, and scriptures. We must venture out to see what more light and knowledge the Lord has revealed to mankind today. And I do that. I read about a book a week. I would say maybe a book every two weeks. But I would say any leader has got to take time to read a good, at least one good solid leadership book a month. Like they're so helpful. And we, that's why we try and bring these authors to uh, leading saints to talk about this, to talk about their research, their perspective. And you're not going to get it all from an hour interview, nor could we do that, right? And so I hope that as you listen to some of these uh, interviews that you are inspired to go out and get their book and read it and benefit from it. I can think of countless experiences where I have read something in a book and it's completely dramatically changed how I lead in some of the past uh, church leadership callings I've had. All right. Misconception number three, meetings lead to progress. Now, this is, I mean, this is a cultural like gorilla in the room, in my opinion, meetings, just seeing meetings in bishoprics or stake meetings, uh, high council meetings. I mean, there's so many types of meetings that go on and on and on. And I wrote this article, uh, sort of another highlight of Leading Saints uh, history. I wrote an article called The Seven Unbreakable Rules of a Meeting, and it got picked up by LDS Living, and it went crazy. Like, it got shared everywhere. And I kid you not, I had to delete comments from that post, I mean, maybe now in this social media world, that doesn't surprise you. But back th- these few years ago, it was I was like shocked. I had to delete comments from that article where people made personal attacks at me. Like they insulted me as a person because I thought this way about some of these uh, these meeting perspectives. And one of them was, which came up again, is a meeting should never, ever be longer than 60 minutes. And people were so offended by this. They thought, who, who are you? Who are you to determine how long the spirit wants the meeting to be? And I think, well, I mean, there's this time limit on sacrament meeting. I mean, who are you to say sacrament meeting should only be an hour? Like, why should we leave? Why can't we just like show up and we'll just wait till the spirit tells us to go home? Like, right? Like limits are a natural thing that need to be implemented in our world. And so, so in my opinion, um, if you are having meetings that are going longer than 60 minutes, it should cause you pause and you should ponder over that. And believe me, I've been there. I've refined this process and, and worked through it. And by the time we were in our bishopric, we were to 30 minutes once a week. We had a bishopric meeting for 30 minutes once a week. And it got to the point where we thought, you know, we should probably meet a little longer. And so for the next 30 minutes, we invited auxiliary leaders into that meeting uh, just to talk about their auxiliary for 30 minutes and see how we could help them, right? But 30 minutes was all we needed because we have this perception, this misconception, right? That's what we're talking about, that meetings lead to progress. And if we don't have meetings, something will break. I remember many times, a few times as a bishop, there are certain holidays and conferences, you know, general conferences line up in a way that we would go for like three or four weeks. And for some one reason or another, we wouldn't have a word council. And I'd always get to the end of that and thought, huh, nothing broke. Like, the war just continued on and yeah, maybe we missed some things here and there, but we're fine. We'll just continue on, right? So we put too much emphasis or too much value on what a meeting can actually do. So what does lead to progress? If you're thinking, man, but I love meetings and what else would I do? I mean, do we just sit home? Like, no, what you do is you give people autonomy, mastery, and purpose. There's a great book out there by Daniel Pink called Drive. Should be one of your many books that you read every year. Well, not every year, but read it once. I mean, you can come back to it. You know what I mean? Anyway, so, but he talks about this concept that every individual in an organization, especially the leaders, need three things, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. So you figure out how to give all your auxiliary leaders, all the people you deal with more autonomy, more mastery, and more purpose. And the problems will fix themselves outside of the meeting. It's remarkable. It's like a modern day miracle when you give them that. And I get these emails from time to time all around the calling of primary president. I get the tearful emails from primary president saying, oh, I love your podcast and I, I want to do better. I want to step outside the box. I want to do these new things. But every time I try something, the bishopric shuts me down. 
right? Or I'm sitting in sacrament, I don't find out who my new teachers are until the rest of the ward finds out, right? Like, and I get it, like leaders want to maintain control, but the more autonomy, mastery, and purpose we give to to our leaders, which means every individual wants autonomy, right? right? Some freedom to do things their way. Uh, mastery, feeling like they're mastering a certain skill or, or calling, and then purpose that whatever it is they're doing, they feel like it's actually making a difference, right? So the more you can facilitate those things to leaders, it's going to make a huge difference. And I, I see this more often than not that bishoprics make all the callings de decisions for primaries, which is like the second largest organization in the ward, right? Why not just let the primary president determine who all those callings are? Well, that's because we do that because then the Relief Society will, will pick some of the primary wants. And so we just find it easier if we just pick every calling in the ward. Well, yeah, well, leadership's hard, right? Like you got to deal with people and opinions and, but jump into that battle. Don't just take it over and do it for them. Like if the Relief Society president wants a certain person that's serving in primary, like have that conversation, talk it out, counsel together, figure out where the best place is for that person and for the people in that organization. And then you'll tell the Relief Society president, hey, listen, I think this person needs to go to the primary. And that's maybe where you make the call, but not on every last person. I know it's easier, but it's a whole lot more work for the bishopric and it takes away autonomy from the primary president and uh, other leaders, right? And I know you don't want to lose control. Reminds me of a time when I was a bishop and the Christmas party was coming up, right? I didn't want to be in meetings and as a bishop, why do I need to de determine what color the tablecloths are, right? I think uh, David Butler said that, like, why am I picking the color of the cups or I forget what he said. So what we did, I, we just, there's a great couple that was very creative and we called them and said, you are in charge of the, the Christmas party. Here's your budget. Now, I'll be very clear. And I remember being very clear. This is your budget. You cannot go over, over that budget. You need to figure out how to stay within that budget, right? And they did it. And I could tell throughout the process that they were not going to be staying in budget just from the things they were buying and the plans they had together. Now, of course, we I continue to reiterate, remember, you have this budget. Do not go over that budget. At the end of the day, the Christmas party was a hit. They went over budget. Okay, well, we figured it out, right? We found some money, we moved around some administrative budget, and we paid for the Christmas party. It was fine. They weren't like excessively over budget. They probably doubled the budget, to be honest. <laughs> but, you know, we, we made it work, okay? And, but that was better. I'd rather figure out that problem than sit through five different meetings figuring out the details of the Christmas party. So meetings don't lead to progress. Autonomy, mastery, and purpose do. Misconception number four, your ward wants solutions, not problems. And I wrote this article back in uh, March 25th of 2015, and it's called Articulating Problems Will Motivate Solutions. And I encourage you that we'll link to this in the show notes. I encourage you to check it out. But it's all about this concept of sometimes as leaders, we feel like we need a, you know, we, okay, there's a problem, right? Or there's, there's this issue or we're not hitting our goals or whatever it is. And so let's rally the troops, let's bring the ward council together, and we're going to get in a room and we're going to have this really long meeting trying to figure out this problem. What I have found is that when you take the problem to the people, rather than wait till you figure out the solution or your solution with the ward council or your leadership team, and then take it, the solution to people, when you take the problem to the people, it does a variety of things that are very, it makes leadership easier and motivates those within the ward and actually engages them in being a part of the ward. When you take a problem to the ward and say, ward, here's what's on my mind as a bishop, or ward, here's a problem we're dealing with. And if you would help me pray over this, we want to figure this out. And what happens is you are engaging the mind of everybody in your ward of how to, how to move forward. Now, you're going to get a lot of opinions, and some are going to be out there and bad ideas, good ideas. But what happens is that the fact that you're engaging people in the problems that the, that the organization is facing, that engages them in so many other ways. It allows them to join in and find a solution or be the solution to that problem. And I give this in the article, I talk about this experience when I was a bishop. And there was, uh, there, you know, we were in a transient ward, and there was all these names on the rolls that we didn't know who they were. And so instead of going to the ward council and saying, we need to figure out how to do this, instead I went to the ward and said, here's the problem. We have all these names on the list and I have a few ideas of how to solve this, but will you help me solve it? 
And it was such a special time in that ward where we all rallied together and we knocked on doors, we organized activities, and we did some things that really made a difference. And it wasn't perfect. There's probably some things I'd adjust in that experience. But when we take the problem to the people and invite them to fix it with you, it's it's remarkable what comes to the surface. So right now there may be bishoprics that are scratching their heads thinking, oh, we can't connect with our people. I don't know what to do. Like maybe we'll try this Zoom uh, activity and maybe that'll work or maybe we'll do this drive-by thing or whatever it is, right? Why don't you take it to the people and say, hey, we're going to, here, here's here's an email about the problem we're facing. Here's some things we thought of. What do you think, right? And again, you're inviting them to engage in the solution, which stimulates vision, right? And purpose of the ward. And people love being part of organizations that have vision and purpose. All right, we're rounding up with the last three here. I'll try and be brief because uh, nobody likes a really long podcast, right? Anyways, uh, misconception number five, leaders are leaders are spiritual parole officers. Huge misconception. When I was a bishop, I got caught up in this where a bishop primarily has someone to come in, confess a sin, maybe it's an addiction, most likely it's related to pornography, and you become hyper-focused on behavior. And then you suddenly become this parole officer where they come in every few weeks or maybe every week and you always start with, well, how many slip-ups did you have? Or how did it go? And well, okay, that many, okay, we're going to restrict the sacrament for this long, right? It all became so behavior-focused that I felt like a parole officer. When in reality, that person just needs connection and community. And if you watch the presentation, it's in the Core Leader Library, a presentation that Lifestar did. It's just phenomenal. We just did it earlier this summer. If I think if you go to lifestar.leadingsaints.org, you can you can find it. We'll link to it in the show notes. But they talk about this, this concept of how to just really sit with people in their in their struggle and that, that it's actually not a behavioral issue. It's actually an issue with the heart. Their heart's broken. They feel so beat down. They're so filled with shame. They don't need you to remind them that they should stop doing this. Or if they don't, if they don't go for seven days, they can't take the sacrament. They just need someone to sit with them in their heart and say, wow, it's broken. How can we invite Christ into this, into this, uh, this wound, this behavior, or, or how can we invite Christ into this broken heart, right? Like that's what they need. And to do that is very difficult because you feel like you should be the, the bishop with the solutions. You should be the, the leader that has the right scripture to read that's going to inspire them to stop doing this behavior, but it's we're way off there. And so we should never feel like parole officers or the bishop's office, in my opinion, is probably the second most sacred room in a chapel, right? Obviously the sacrament, the, the sacrament chapel is the first, uh, the bishop's office is, is the second in my opinion, because, but we use it as it's a principal's office. It's a place of punishment of shame, right? No, nor do, did we ever intend for that to happen. It turns into that so quickly where the, the bishop's office should be a place of atonement of, of connecting with the atonement, right? Of, of feeling Christ's love and his healing power, but it's so filled with shame. And so the more we can get away from this idea that we're the parole officer who sets limits and boundaries and punishes, the more we can have a place of grace. And that's what they, they should feel there. So that's misconception number five. Leaders are spiritual parole officers. Leader, uh, leadership misconception number six. Leaders receive promptings of their call before they are called. This is one of those soapbox issues for me. Uh, you often hear it, and even in some interviews you'll hear it, where an individual says, well, I knew I'd be called as bishop, or I knew be be called as really study president. And bless their heart, they're, they're trying to share this like spiritual experience, right, where they got this prompting before they were called that, hey, like, you know, you're going to be the next Relief Society president. You're going to be the next bishop. And, and, I, and I don't even argue that they don't happen. I, I believe they happen. But here's what happens is – it's not just one person. It's not just the next bishop or the next stake president or the next really say president gets that prompting. It's about 30 to 40 others in the ward, 20 to 30. I mean, it's a good handful of people who got the same prompting, but guess what? You were called and they weren't. It sort of gets magnified or highlighted when a stake presidency puts in a new bishopric, right? And they do this thing. And it's something that we stopped doing on day one when, when I was calling a stake presidency because I just don't think it's helpful. We feel like it's helpful. but And it's, it has a long tradition, but I just completely disagree with the tradition where we um, make the whole meeting around this new, the outgoing bishopric and the new incoming bishopric. We have the outgoing bishopric share their testimonies and their wives share their testimonies and the incoming bishopric shares their testimonies and their wives share their testimonies. 
And then even in those testimonies, you'll hear something like, I knew, I knew weeks before this calling came that I'd be called. I felt that prompting. As I don't see why that's helpful in mentioning because all it does is that the other 20 people who got the same prompting feel like they're broken or maybe the Lord didn't want them or maybe they don't know how to listen to the spirit and maybe they're just confused. Like it's just not helpful, right? So what we did as a stake presidency is we'd have a normal sacrament meeting and then we'd take the last five minutes and and uh, the stake president would stand up and release the bishopric, call the new one and invite them up to the stand. And then we would set them apart you know, right after the meeting, we'd move on, right? And that really helped us keep the meeting focused on Christ and not on these men or uh, individuals that are that are uh, serving in these capacities. If you ever, just like man to man, man to woman here, like if you ever feel that prompting that you've been called and you do get called, don't share it with anybody. <laughs> I promise you, it's not doing anybody any favors. It, it may have really happened, but I don't think it's helpful because other people received similar promptings. I promise you. I've talked with hundreds, hundreds of people about this dynamic, and we actually have an episode in the future coming up uh, where I talked to Mike Ramsey about his experience with it. And it, um, and so I'm excited to jump into it a little bit further that way, but I promise you, it happens to so many other people, and it's not helpful that you share it, <laughs> that you were right or you were the chosen one. There's this concept of pride of leadership, and there's this great conference talk by Elder or President Uchtdorf. I think he was President Uchtdorf at the time. But it was in October of 2010. President Uchtdorf shares the, uh, it's called Pride and the Priesthood. And he uh, shares this wonderful anecdote about a uh, time he was, it says, when I was called as a general authority, I was blessed to be tutored by many of the senior brethren of the church. One day I had the opportunity to drive with President James E. Faust to a state conference. During the hours we spent in the car, President Faust took the time to teach me some important principles about my assignment. He explains also how gracious the members of the church are, especially to general authorities. He said, they will treat you very kindly. They will say nice things about you. He laughed a little and then said, Dieter, be thankful for this, but don't you ever inhale it. Obviously, there's a good laugh that came uh, after that. But here's the thing, in my opinion, it's impossible not to inhale. It's like jumping into a lake and not getting wet. Like that's what leadership is. The pride of these callings, they do so much behind the scenes. It does so much behind the scenes. I mean, the adversary just leverages it. He wants you, the adversary wants you to feel like you are so special that you are the only one in the ward. You're, you are the top of the list and the only one, like you are the you are God's pick to serve in that capacity. Now, why does he want you to think because isn't that a positive thought? Like, isn't it great that you're righteous? And the adversary wants to validate you because if he can validate you, he can invalidate you. And that's never helpful. You just got to keep the pride in check, right? And be real to it. Like, you can't act like it's not impacting you. I promise you, it's impacting you. Can, I can't, I mean, I go back to my time. I was called as a bishop at 28 years old. Like, do you know what that did to my psyche at times? Like, and I wasn't like this prideful guy or thought I was the bee's knees because I was a bishop at 28, but it does something to you, right? And through prayer and recognizing it, working through it and realizing I wasn't the only one in the ward that, that could have been called. Like there were many other options. They went with me. That wasn't because I was super special or I'm one of God's chosen. They just went with me. They needed a guy to do it and I did it, but it wasn't because I was uh, superior to others. And so the pride of leadership is so so dense and it's ever present. And so you uh, just always keep in check. And I think we we manifest that pride by some of these, these narratives we create that God told me beforehand that I'd be called. And again, maybe he did. I don't know why he would need to do that. I would assume the stake president would be able to do that just as well as the spirit. But for some reason, we need to confirm that I'm special because I was called I was told by the spirit before I was told by the stake president as if I have some unique ability to fill the spirit. I don't know. And again, I know this may be a, a harsh um, way to, to to position it, but sit on it, like wrestle with it. I mean, what a great conference talk, pride in the priesthood that you can go to and ponder over. And there's some great principles in there, but I just don't think you can es escape the pride of leadership. So you've always got to come back to it, revisit it, um, talk it through. I mean, like, like find someone you can be vulnerable with. I mean, seriously, the every stake I move into, the voice whispers in my head, 
you could be stake president of the stake, right? Hmm. I would I wouldn't be surprised. Another couple of years, you could be stake president, right? Like that's and that's something I always constantly have to battle by saying, why do I need to be stake president and have influence here? Why don't I just have influence day one, right? And so this is it's it's a tactic of the adversary to build up our pride in righteous ways, which I don't know if the best way to say it, so that we he can validate us through our leadership so that later he can invalidate you through the leadership. So I just think it's a it's a trap, it's a snare that we have to keep our eyes out. All right, rounding out the top seven here, uh, misconception number seven, your authority allows you to lead. And this sort of uh, dovetails off the last misconception, but you... It's easy to assume, you know, we have a, a strong tradition of authority. We have a strong tradition of keys, of priesthood. And so it's easy to assume I hold these keys. I hold this authority now. So therefore I am the leader. But we all know leaders earn their following. They earn the trust. It is not assumed, right? Maybe they'll give you the benefit of the doubt for a while, but we all have to realize it's up to us to refine our leadership ability, to refine our um capacity to serve in these callings and uh, that trust can be earned over time and, and it can be lost dramatically, right? And obviously repentance is real and we can uh, ask forgiveness and and get that trust restored and, and it comes and goes, right? It's up and down. Uh, but we have to earn the following. We have to assume that on day one, they're not on the board, but we actually actually have to earn their their trust and get them there. And, and hopefully through looking, you know, the scriptures is a good place to start. The handbooks is another good place to start, but also, like I said earlier, there are so many other resources that will help you be better prepared to lead in those capacities. I think back to, I'm, I'm so grateful, you know, I, I did have leadership, you know, formal influential leadership experiences early on than in life than, that compared to other people. Again, that's not, nothing to do with I'm special or I had it figured out or whatever it is. It just, it, it was what it, it was. And, and we were an inner city world, uh, ward and there wasn't uh, a long list of people and I got an opportunity to serve at a young age. But now in hindsight, as I look back at that, I am such a better member of the church because, uh, or more capable, right? I don't, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm better than other people, but I'm just saying like, I'm better than I would have been without those, those callings. It's given me a deeper perspective. I'm more empathetic to leaders. And so when I walk into a ward, I don't, I don't feel like, oh, well, I hope you know, I'd love to have some influence here. I just needed to get that calling as elders quorum president. Or I just need to, um, I just need to be in the stake presidency somehow, and then I can have influence. Like no, like I feel like I can have just as much influence for good, just as much of positive interactions with people as a common everyday member of that ward, as opposed to being the bishop. Like there's so much an individual can do, and that's sort of another huge. Uh, huge message we have at Leading Saints is that be a leader, not a calling. And that's not to diminish the callings uh, that we have in the church. They're they're sacred. They're inspired. They're they're incredible structures of of the restored gospel. But just be a leader. Don't worry about being a calling. Or if you are a calling, be a leader instead of that calling. Right in in the in the in the shell of that calling, be a great leader. In the in the shell of being a member, be a great leader. And I've really tried to push myself and challenge myself when I'm in a new ward to look for opportunities where I can step forward and lead, where I can have a one-to-one -one interaction that maybe the bishop can't, can't have because he's got a, a list of other things to do, but I can have that interaction, right? I may not be in a, in a presidency, but I can, I can maybe influence an activity to happen that's going to be good for somebody. Like There's so many ways. And when we go in, into a ward with that mindset that I can have as much influence as any leader in a formal title or calling just because I want to lead and I want to, and I want to be like Christ, right? Like that's what leadership is, is being like Christ. So there's the last misconception. Your authority allows you to lead or your calling, your title allows you to lead. No, you can lead today and forever just by wanting to lead. And of course, as I do with every episode, I'll end it on my, my final question. But before I do that, I want to encourage you, if you've been listening to Leading Saints, if you appreciate what we're, we're doing, what we're trying to do, we need uh, support. We're a 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, we're 100% dependent on contributions. We have a phenomenal core leader 
program, resource, I don't know what to call it. Program seems uh, too much, but you can become a core leader by being a subscribing donor. So as little as a dollar a month, just giving uh, and helping us on a subscription basis, knowing that, well, that money's going to continue to come in because that's one of the largest uh, efforts that nonprofits have is not just getting donors, but renewing those donors. So by setting a subscription donation, you can go to leadingsaints.org and click on the big green donate button. And uh, from there, submit a monthly or yearly subscribing donation. I think you can also do it quarterly. And that is really going to help us move things forward. So that's my big ask from you. I'm sure you disagree with half the stuff I said in this episode, and that's okay. But again, we're just trying to stimulate thought and so that you you consider that some of these things, um, but really we could use your help moving forward. If you can go to the leading saints.org hit donate. And even if it's just a dollar a month, we'll take it. If you can afford more, we could sure use it. But, uh, we, we, we barely make our, our commitments, uh, week to week and, or a year to year with the different resources we try and create. So your continued support would be so helpful. And again, only even a dollar a month would help, but if you can give more, we sure would appreciate it. So the last question that I ask people, which I'll ask myself here is, how is leading in the form of leading, leading saints, help me be a better disciple of Jesus Christ? Um, it's interesting to ask this question again and again. And if you ever notice, like some people don't answer it, they just sort of go off in a different direction and maybe they throw in a little bit of their testimony, but sometimes they don't answer it, um, which is fine. I mean, it's sort of an open question and, and wherever they're inspired to go, but being a disciple, being a follower is so much at the core of being a leader. Um, and when I consider Jesus Christ, like I asked this question because I, I never want an episode to go by that his name isn't mentioned because he gave me grace. Like I was, I, I was such a, a terrible elders corn president. I know I'm being probably too stronger than I have to be, but I really wasn't that effective as a bishop, but I tried. But at the end of the day, he, he gave me grace. And that grace looked like when I made a tough decision, maybe I told someone, no, I couldn't pay their rent that month. Or maybe I said the wrong thing to somebody who was going through a faith transition or, or experiencing doubt or beginning to question. I did so many things wrong, but his grace like f- f- more than filled the difference. It, it, it consumed those individuals. And regardless of where they're at, today because of the decisions, good and bad, that I made as a leader, he's covered it. So how has being a a leader made me a better follower of Jesus Christ? It has allowed me to look to him as my model, as my guide, and to simply go back to the question of, what would my Savior do in this seat? I may not do it perfectly like him, but maybe I can start. Maybe I can try. And maybe as a leader, I'll be a little more Christ-like in, in the ways that I lead. And don't forget, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org LGBT to learn all the details about the upcoming LGBT Saints Virtual Summit. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.